Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good? Yeah, well, that was not convincing whatsoever. Everybody doing good? All right, sweet. Um, I mentioned it last week. I'll say it again this week, man. I'm excited for Easter. I get really, really pumped up for what we get to celebrate and how we get to celebrate it. So be thinking about Easter and what you can do. I, it just get, gets my blood really pumping when I think of just celebrating why we even believe this at all because of the resurrection of Jesus. So be praying about that. And again, small groups. I know that I'm going to be leading a small group coming up. So I get real excited when I think about the potential we have to connect with people and be praying about how you want to either lead or join a small group. It's going to be an amazing season coming ahead and I'm excited. To, to launch into it. So it's always good to be here, and I'm, I'm glad that we get to continue our series from the ashes today, talking about humility. Now, this is not an easy thing for me to talk about because my wife Stephanie talks about my big ego all the time, and she's right. I have one. Um, and coming from the Bay Area, being a 49er fan, I will openly say I am full of a lack of humility when I talk about my team. No, I don't even have shame in saying it. I'm proud of my team, not this last season, but mostly proud of my team. I'm full of pride when it comes to sports. But I learned that, you know, coming up here to, to Washington, you guys are guilty too. There is a lot of Seahawk pride <laughs> here. And so I know that it's going to be a lot of fun talking about this and then diving in just throughout my life with you guys when we talk about humility and pride, not just in a football sense, but just in life and in general. Whether you're a 49er fan, Seahawks fan, or a Richard Sherman fan in any way, shape, or form, because, hey, he played us both, right? <laughs> There's more related to humility than just football, though. Now, not related to football, there's another story that I came across diving about humility, and I love this. It says, once upon a time, a writer came across a few soldiers who were trying to move a heavy log of wood without success. The corporal was standing by just watching as the men struggled. The writer couldn't believe it. He finally asked the corporal why he wasn't helping. The corporal replied, I'm the corporal. I give the orders. The writer said nothing in response. Instead, he dismounted his horse he went up and stood by the soldiers as they tried to lift the wood, and he helped them. With his help, the task was finally able to be carried out, and the men marched forward. Does anyone know the name of this writer? You all do. It was George Washington. The commander-in-chief who outranked the corporal got off of his horse to help the people move the log. Now, this story is an excellent example of humility from someone who was at the top. He didn't need to get off his horse. He could have yelled at everyone to work harder. He could have even commanded the corporal, you get down and help him. These are your men. What are you doing? But he gets down, and he moves the log. It goes opposite of the arrogance that we see in the corporal. I mean, this story makes us love George Washington even more and makes our dislike for the corporal go. And we don't even know who this guy was, but now we're thinking, oh, I hate him. That guy, man, what, what, a, what a just horrible leader for his people, right? But I think we feel this way because we can all kind of understand the implications of what that meant for George Washington, the corporal, the people, and even for us today. I think we can probably all even put ourselves at a time where we knew we acted more like that corporal than we did George Washington. I know that I've done that more often than I care to admit. Now, there'll be, there may be times where at home you face this attitude or at work where you face this attitude. You may think, you may even said the phrase, that's not my job. 
I don't need to lower myself down to this and do that. That's somebody else's job. Like, you, you can walk by even, I've done, like I said, I'm, everything I say, I'm guilty of, totally guilty. When I worked at Creekside, I had walked by a room after one of the youth ministry meetings before I was a youth pastor, and the room had some basketballs and things in it, and I was totally guilty of saying, why didn't they clean that up? And then I went on with my day. When I could have just easily picked up a few things, I'm guilty of saying, that's not my job, and moving on more than I care to admit. We're not immune from these thoughts. But I love that as admirable as George Washington is in this story, we get to unpack the story as we go up to Easter of someone even greater than George, greater than us, because we have the ultimate example in Jesus when it comes to who is a humble servant, who is a humble king, who is a humble God. And we have that example with Jesus. So as we dive in today, would you uh, bow your heads and pray with me? God, we come before you today so thankful for all that you are, all who you are. And God, I pray that as we dive into humility today, God, I pray that, that we, we all feel a sense of godly conviction. God, something that, that we say, this is where I struggle. This is how I can change. This is how I can grow in you and through you. And God, this is how I can start to live my life with more humility because of the way that you lived yours. So God, I pray that you sit at every chair, you touch every heart, and you bless us with your presence today. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. All right, now, I think it could go without saying when I say who would like to be more humble or who would like to mirror the life of Christ more in their life, I think most hands, most people would say yes, right? You don't often hear people say, hey, I came to church today to hear how not to be like Jesus. It's simply not the mentality or the attitude that comes with it. You typically, that's, that's who we strive to be like. That's, we use his life as our model for how we want to move forward. And we want to be humble, we want to be helpful. We want to be able to look at others and say, how can I help this person? And how can I have less of me and more, more of you in my life? And today we're going to pack, uh, pick apart a little bit of one of the stories of Jesus that I think is an incredible example of his humility leading up into his crucifixion. Now, begs the question, though, I talked about being a 49ers fan. I have a lot of fun with it. If you'd like to talk trash and throw humility aside and just be proud about your team, come see me during football season. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. I will not get personal, but I will be arrogant about my team. And it's going to be fun. People want to be proud, right? Especially in the sports aspect, you want to be proud of your team. You want your team to go all the way every year. You wanted Marshawn Lynch to run that ball. Yeah, right? Just like I did not want them to throw a fade to Crabtree three times in a row the game before that, right? You want your team to make the right decision. You want to look and say, I'm proud of those guys. You want to be proud of each other, but there comes a point where this pride can start to manifest and turn into something that's not so much joy-filled and fun anymore, but where it starts to turn into something that is opposite of what Jesus modeled in his life. It shifts from being a happy proud to an arrogant proud, and that's where things start to get a little bit shifty and, and convoluted. Now, I don't want us to mix up being proud of someone for their accomplishments. Don't mix that up with being full of pride, because I think they're two separate things, and what comes to my mind is when I played baseball. So I played baseball so much when I was a kid. For over, I think it was 10 or 11 years, I played Little League, went up into high school, played baseball. I loved baseball. My dad was my coach for a number of years, but I remember when I was in elementary school, I had the power bat. I was the cleanup hitter, fourth on the spot. I did not have the strongest arm. I did not have the most accurate arm. They put me at pitcher once just to see what I could do. It was really bad. I, I hit a couple people, walked the rest. It was just, a, it was a bad thing. But when it came to batting, that was where I shined. And so I had the cleanup spot. For 
if you don't follow baseball, that's the number four batter. The, the hope is that the first three batters get on base and then the cleanup guy brings them all in. So that was my role, the number four batter, and I would just, I would hit the ball hard and good. And one day, I hit my first home run. And I remember it very clearly, even though I was young, because as a baseball player, the first home run is like the greatest feeling in the world. And I remember hitting it and watching the ball sail over. And I remember, for me, it was one of those slow motion, like you hear the, you know, the, what's the Chariots of Fire song going on in your head as you're running the bases. It's just dramatic and it's awesome. I look over and I have a huge family and they're all there in the, cr- the stands, which was mostly my family because they're so huge, was just going bonkers. And I'm running the bases. And as I round third, I start coming home and I see my dad, who was my coach, just cheering and going crazy. And I ran and he like just wrapped me up when I crossed home plate. And it was so good. And I remember my dad telling me, leading up into that moment, because he, he was telling me one day, he said, you're going to hit a home run. He goes, it's going to happen. Just you're, you're, you've got the bat to do it. But he would tell me from day one, when you do it, don't brag. When you do it, don't show off. Now, I know it's a a 49er, so forgive me for using this reference. One of my favorite 49ers of all time is Jerry Rice. He was a receiver, and whether you like the Niners or not, you can't deny the man's attitude on the field. He was one of the epitomes of go, do the job, celebrate the team. Or Peyton Manning, a great quarterback that I very much respect, would throw the ball, and if his players didn't catch it, he would say, I threw it too hard. I wasn't accurate enough. He would take the, the credit for what happened there, or if they caught it, he would say, they ran the route, they made the catch, they did it. So my dad would start instilling different, different sports figures in my life saying, look at their attitudes. Make sure you have this attitude, praise your team. So when I crossed home plate and he wrapped me up, I got to go high five my team, and it was so cool to be able to do that. Now, can you imagine in that moment, if my dad, when I hit the home run, were to turn around and look at the rest of the team and go, ha, you guys didn't do that, my son did. Or if I got back to the, the batting the batter's box, and I looked at everyone and was like, you didn't hit it, you didn't hit it, I hit it, I'm the best, that's why I'm the four spot, you guys need to practice harder. That would have changed the entire moment. It would have turned a moment of what was my ultimate joy into the ultimate moment where they were like, yeah, we don't like Dustin. We don't want him on our team. It would have totally shifted everything. And so I want to focus on the type Today, we're going to look at that pride. We're going to look at what can happen when you take a moment of joy and you turn it into something that is so anti-humility that it goes against the example that Jesus gave us. Scripture makes it clear. The antidote for pride is the attitude and characteristic of humility. So it begs the question then, right? What is humility? Humility is often characterized as a a, a genuine gratitude and lack of arrogance a modest view of oneself. Now, that, that is the definition of humility. But I think when we talk about biblical humility, it actually goes beyond this. This is a good launching point, but there is so much more to biblical humility because humility is a critical and continuous emphasis on godliness in the Bible. The more you look through Scripture, you see so many things that, that go beyond this, and I want to look at some of that today. We are called upon to be humble followers of Christ, to trust in his wisdom, to trust in the salvation of God. We get to humble ourselves before God, before the giver of life, because he's the one that gave it to us. See, biblical humi- humility, it's, sorry, it's going to be a tongue twister saying that a few times. Biblical humility is grounded in the very nature of God. You think of God, the very nature of I mean, he is God, he is almighty, knows everything in heaven, and yet he chose to send a part of himself down to us. 
that takes humility. Someone, I mean, he sent his son down to us to take on the full attributes of us, to be fully human, to walk with us, to walk with the poor, to walk with the afflicted. Jesus manifested himself. God was here with us all the way through his crucifixion. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, couples a couple phrases. It'll say, meek and humble in heart. And I think that it emphasizes Christ's humility before mankind. Can you imagine? I mean, just think about the God who knows everything humbly walking with us. The one who said, I created you. I made you. I know you. I'm going to serve you. That's an incredible humili- humiliating humility and attitude. One of my favorite verses, one that we're all very, uh, many of us may be very familiar with is Proverbs 3, 5. It says, trust the Lord God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, this verse, there is so many, you could take this verse and preach many, many messages on this one passage. But I love that this, I think, is an incredible example of humility. Because right there, it says, lean not on your own understanding. That right there, that line is so opposite of having pride. To be able to say, as, as we do, as people, as I do, I know what's best. I know the answer. I've done the research. This is what I'm going to do. To be able to say, I know these things, but it's ultimately him that I'm going to follow, that takes an act of humility. It allows us to acknowledge that God is sovereign and that we are not, that God is divine and that we are not divine, that God is infinite and we are finite. But in order to do this, we have to learn how to have the initial requirement of humility. How does it open our hearts? How does it allow us to withdraw from our arrogance and our ego? Well, Proverbs 22.4 says this, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Now, what's, what's crazy about this is you would not look at being humble and thinking, man, if I am humble, I'm going to be honored I'm going to have riches, well, at least by our definition of riches, right? You, you wouldn't think of us getting these things because we're taking a lower approach to what the world says because humility is not what the world promotes. If you go deep into the business world, as some of you very, very well be, man, there is, there's businesses that say they don't care about the person, they care about the number. They care about the profit. They care about what's going to get us bigger, what's going to get us better. And if you have to step on people or push them aside or show that you are best, then do it. It is so counter to say, I'm going to think of myself less, put myself less, and because of that, I will receive more. And again, not the more that the world may think, but more than what, more of what God has for us, not what the world has for us. It's not our definition of riches, it's God's definition of riches. Humility can be more defined, the more you pack it apart, as not being proud or haughty, not arrogant or assertive. It can be reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit of difference or submission, such as a humble apology. Who's had to make those before? Yeah, you do something and you have to go take a big old helping of that humble pie, eat it quick and go say you're sorry. Makes you feel real good, doesn't it? Or ranking low on a hierarchy scale, not costly, not luxurious. But understanding humility, I think, is to put it hand in hand, directly related to its opposite relating it directly to having a spirit of pride. And we'll see today, pride is something that goes totally against the will of God. Pride goes totally against everything Jesus was. And that's why if we want to understand humility, I think we also have to understand the opposite, pride. How do they work together? How do they conflict with each other? And how do we apply that to our lives? It's frequently mentioned in scripture, humility, as it relates to our walk with Jesus. And we're going to unpack this today if you turn to John 13, 
verses 1 through 11, there's an incredible passage we're going to go through that I think, aside from Jesus' crucifixion, this is one of the most humiliating and humble things someone, especially in Jesus' position, could do for his people. So we're going to see that Jesus set the example. Now, this passage we see here, we're going to read it together, start in verse 1. It says this, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. Now, this is an incredibly powerful moment in the ministry and life of Jesus, specifically with humility. Because in all reality, this action right here made no sense. This right here was counterculture. It went against everything culture said was supposed to happen in this time. Everything they were used to. This could be seen as offensive and just downright wrong. Jesus is here, and they st- the disciples still don't quite get what's going to happen. They, they know that, that, now this is leading up into Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, but they're still thinking this is the man who is coming to overthrow the government. This is the man who is going to rally them to war, who is going to get the Romans out of their lives, who is going to say the bondage is broken, the chains are gone, and, but they're looking at it in a very earthly aspect, and they don't quite understand what's happening with Jesus. You see, when they looked at Jesus, they saw the king, but kings were not servants. Kings were not servants. Kings were the rulers. Kings were the authority. Kings were the ones who said, I will say this, you will do it or else. And here we see the king washing their feet. It ruined their mindset or blew their minds of what was going on. Now their views had been changing over time. All of them had gone through significant life changes to get to this point with Jesus in their walk, but they still were waiting for this moment where he was saying, let's storm the capital, let's go. It's time to be free. It was totally different than what they expected. I don't think they quite understand the humbleness that Jesus was showing in this moment. Kings did not do this. They were not servants. And kings did not strip in front of company. When you think of that, I mean, we don't strip in front of each other generally, but a king, a king would not take off his robes in front of company, let alone put on the cloth of a servant and then walk to his people and do things. This was not how they acted. Jesus comes in takes on this role, takes off his robes and puts on the outfit of a servant and washes their feet. Can you think of a bigger act of humility at this point in his ministry than this? This is mind-blowing. God in the flesh, the king of kings, the one who says, my father created it all and now he's washing your feet. And to top it off, some cultures in Middle Eastern areas, and I, I learned this in college, and so it blew my mind when I learned this in relation to this. The feet, not only were they dirty, I mean, this is walking around all day, dirt, 
camel stuff all over the ground. You know, this, this is dirty. This is gross. But in Middle Eastern culture, the foot is so low, literally the lowest part of you, and you walk on it, to expose the bottom of your foot to somebody else is equivalent to us giving someone the finger. Dead serious. It is so insulting to show someone the bottom of your feet. It's what they would do when they were angry. It was a horrible insult. So Jesus, to get down and pick up and look at the bottom of their feet, they could literally be thinking, oh my gosh, I'm insulting God. And God is saying, no, no, this is me washing you. This is me making you clean. So it goes with the uncomfortableness of, of the area, the uncomfortableness of the times. This did not make sense. Kings did not wash feet. It was gross. It was dirty. It was insulting. That's why the servants did it. People didn't care about the servants. They didn't have the privileges of people in the home. So if they were to be insulted, it did not matter. For Jesus to do this, it could have been seen as an insult. But Jesus did it willingly. Paul's words in Philippians uh, 2, verses 3 through 5, he says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. See, Paul's encouragement for his believers, for the believers of Christ, is, hey guys, this is going to be more like Christ in our attitudes and our actions, because to be humble is to be more like Christ. To be humble is to be more like Christ. And he goes on, he says, match him with your attitudes. Match him with your words. And you could, be, you could easily say this. You could say, you know what, Pastor Dustin? That is so easy to say. It is so easy to say, right? yeah, go be more like Christ. You can say it, but it's hard. And if someone came up to me and said that, you said that and you made it sound so easy, I would say, you're right, I did say it, and it does sound easy. But I'd also be the first person to say it is not. It is so hard to do because where I said he is infinite and he is perfect, we are finite and we are not perfect. It's not an easy thing to do, but that's why it's a destination. That's why it's something that we're walking on. But I love that we get to say, even though it's not easy, we have the example in Jesus. And we unpacked this a little bit last week with temptation. We have God who came in the flesh, looked temptation in the eyes, and said no multiple times. And he used scripture to back it up. We have the same God who was around arrogant people who dealt with pride, who in all reality had the authority to be full of pride, but he didn't do it. And he gave us the ultimate example to live like. Paul goes out and he lists these attitudes. He lists words and actions that we are to model. And as he lays this out, we can go on in verses five through eight as a way to comprehend that we were made in the image of God. See, verses five through eight continue. It says this, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found, as an, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. Jesus had every right to be proud. You ever had that moment in your life where you, know, you knew you were right, you knew they were wrong, and you just wanted them to eat their words? You, knew, you had every reason to say that you should be right, you should be elevated, you deserve this. Just, I think we've all had a point where we come to that point in our lives where it's like, this is my time, this is why it's me, this is why it's not you, and that pride can start to seep in, right? Well, Jesus had every right to be proud. He could have done it. He had every right to tell the disciples, I'm God, you get to wash my feet. This is who I am. You get to serve me. This is below my pay grade. I don't deserve this. You do. I created you. You get to do this to me. 
but he doesn't do that. Jesus deserved to be the one that's carried around as he walks. Have you ever seen movies with Cleopatra or even um, the movie 300? You see King Xerxes coming in and it's like the backs of the servants are just carrying him along and he's sitting there. There's people fanning him. You get this image of royalty being carried around. Man, Jesus could have commanded that. He He deserved that. He was God. But he didn't come and demand that. He came to serve to serve us, ultimately obedient to death, went on the cross. He could have commanded that away from him too, but he said, I'm going to serve you. He took the humble approach when everything about him said he shouldn't have to. There are some specifics Paul describes in Jesus' life and in this passage that I think we can all get on board with these things, some steps to take. One of them is don't take advantage of your position. Don't take advantage of your position. Now, Paul said this, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Or simply said in another way, don't lord yourself over others. Don't lord yourself over others, right? Most of us are leaders in some area, way, shape, or form. I truly believe that. I believe whether you're at home home with your kids, your family, you're at work, you're at school, everywhere you go, you're gonna have some point in your life, some area where you are a leader, you have influence. You, you have kind of maybe an advantage over something in some situation. You have this ability to lead somewhere, no matter how old or how young you are. But you get to choose, am I going to lead this spot now with power or am I going to lead this with humility? What one is going to speak more about me? What one is going to elevate me more or make me walk more along with the lines Jesus has? Is it going to elevate me more in my walk with God or elevate me more in this situation with the world? We all have opportunities to take advantage of others, but Paul's reminding us here that Jesus had all the opportunity to use his authority to do what he wanted, but instead, he didn't use his position to take advantage. He chose to lay it all aside and serve us first. Don't take advantage of your position. Another is to serve others. Man, when Jesus laid aside his royal position, when he said, I don't view myself equal with God when I'm right now, I'm walking with you, he chose, he chose, I love that, He chose to become the servant. Throughout his earthly ministry, as he walked, we see it time and time again. He gives himself to the needs of others. He puts aside what maybe people would say, this is what the king does. And he says, this is what my people need. This is who I'm here for. It's because I love you. This is why I'm going to do it. Romans 12, 3 says, for, the, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Man, it's going to get, seriously, it will get harder to look at yourself first and look down on others if you keep the attitude of service at the forefront of your mind. If, if that's your, your goal when you go, it's like, how can I serve? How can I help? It's going to be really hard to start thinking you're better than because your, your attitude and your mentality then goes to, what do they need and how can I help with it? And that's the attitude Jesus had when he was here. What was he going to do to serve us? Not saying you won't struggle with it. Not saying times are going to come where you won't have that, that pride tendency or that moment where you want to put your, elevate yourself. But I do think the more we practice it, the more it will become a better routine in your life. Practice makes perfect, Right? If you practice humility, you practice serving, it's going to start becoming second nature. Not overnight, maybe not even a week, a day, a month. It's going to take a lifelong practice, but eventually you can get to this point where it's all about others and less about me. That's a hard thing to say every time I say it, less about me. It's rough. And lastly, in this passage with uh, Paul, he mentions giving your life away. See, Jesus' humility ultimately led him to the cross. 
We're all familiar with this story, and we'll, I love that we get to unpack this more on Easter, but it led him to the cross. But what about our story? What about your story? What about this life says, what are you holding on to too tightly? What, what are you holding on to that maybe you want, but it's not what Jesus says, this is what I want? I think that's where we start to battle pride versus humility. We say, but, but, but Jesus, I deserve this. But Jesus, I want this. This is where I want to go with my life, right? And God says, but this is where I want you to go. And it may, it may tell you, you got to let go of something. It may say, hey, you, you've got to look less at yourself and look more at me. Are your dreams and aspirations, are they ones that line up with his dreams and his aspirations? Do they line up with his kingdom? Or is it strictly your kingdom that you're building? I think that's when we have to evaluate when God gave his life away, what in our life are we giving away to make sure we're focused on the one who is worth focusing on? See, humility isn't much, as much of a destination as it is an attitude to be embraced. It's a lifestyle change. So humility is not like a, you're, you're walking along, I practiced, practiced, made it, I'm humble. That'd be great if you could check that box. Humility, check, got it, don't want to practice that anymore. No, this is, this is an attitude shift. This is a lifestyle change that I think we all go through for a majority of our lives. It's something that if it's not practiced continually, it's easy to backslide into old habits. But if we take this journey with the right mentality, the right attitude, I think that this walk in humility becomes something that can be more enjoyable. Not just more enjoyable, but something that can be filled with pure joy that comes from God, knowing that you helped others, knowing that you served others. I think we can all pinpoint times in our lives where maybe something was a crazy inconvenience to you. Maybe you have that phone number that rings where you know when someone calls, the only time you see that name is when they want something. Right? We, we probably, you probably all right now are thinking of that person in your head right now. Yep, that calls and you think, oh, do I answer? Am I available? If I answer, I know just by answering I'm now committed to going to do that thing for this one person, right? But when we have the attitude of, hey, this may take something less of me and I get to go serve somebody, I think the joy that comes from serving others, when you see the look in their eyes, you see the gratitude that comes from their hearts that you were the one that they called because they needed your help, that's an incredible feeling. And the more we embrace that life of, of serving, the more that we, we say, it's not about me, it's about what can I do for you, that makes those moments less painful, less hard, and more full of joy because you know you are literally working on being the hands and the feet of Jesus. It's an important attitude. It's a posture. It's a way of living for God. We also see here that humility is kind of a big deal. Now, it's funny when you say kind of a big deal, right? Now, I saw a great bumper sticker. I'll never forget this bumper sticker. It said, do something humbly, then tell everyone about it. I love that, right? Do something humbly, then tell everyone about it. And I would often tell people when I saw it, I was like, yeah, I'm proud of my humbleness, right? The things that don't really line up. Do something humbly, and then tell everyone about it. It's so counterproductive, it's hilarious. Now, I directed a, uh, I was the director for many years of the kids' summer camp in Northern California. We would have all the churches come together for a week at Camp Koinonia in Santa Cruz, and it was by far my favorite week of the year. I knew that I was doing something right when my daughter, Aurora, one year told me, she goes, Dad, you know what my favorite week of the year is? I thought for sure she would say the week we go to Disneyland. Like that was, because that's like one of my favorite weeks. I said, what is it? She goes, camp. I like camp more than Disneyland. And I was just like, yes, <laughs> nailed it. Made, me, made my heart so happy. But I directed camp and I love camp. The change in life that happens at camp is second to none. Now, Something we did at camp was we gave all the counselors tickets. We said, all right, counselors, this is for you. We're not even telling the kids yet what they're for, but if you see a kid doing something, they go and they help somebody. 
they do something out of the ordinary. They, they see trash on the ground and they pick it up. They don't leave it for the camp janitorial staff. You see them going above and beyond. Give them a ticket. Don't tell them what the ticket's for. Just say, hold on to it for chapel. And so throughout the day, counselors are giving kids tickets. And then at chapel, we got to tell all the kids, hey, kids. Oh, we told them to write their name on it. So all the kids put their tickets in a box, and we had some massive prizes to pass out. And then we got to explain to the kids, these tickets are going to be passed out when we see you guys doing acts of service, unprompted, unasked for. You just went and did it. And it was so fun to see kids doing this. But one of the kids, he was like, he comes up to me. He was like, Dustin, Dustin, I just picked up that trash. (laughs) Good for you. Do I get a ticket? No. You asked for it. (laughs) and you did it knowing that I was standing right there. It's like, there's Dustin, there's trash. And so we had to tell the counselors, you know, don't do that. But there was an attitude there, right? Did you see me? They wanted that the smile was, I could have given a ticket just for the cheesy smile because it was hilarious. But can you imagine humility boasting about itself? You know, telling someone this, I'm going to do this for the humble reason and then promoting it everywhere you go. You know, look what I did. Everyone, look look how great I am. That is so counter to humility. Now, I, I like to talk about sports a lot because I love sports. And I think we have an amazing example with so many athletes on what humility is not, right? Now, I'll stick with Richard Sherman because he played for me and he played for you, right? One of the plays that was gut-wrenching for me, you probably know what I'm talking about, championship game, Sherman tips the ball. One of the plays I said shouldn't have gone to Crabtree anyways, Right? Sherman tips the ball, Seahawks intercept it, they're going to the Super Bowl. But after the play, there was an interview. Aaron Andrews comes up to Crab, or, um, Richard Sherman, and she says, what's going through your mind? And Sherman said, this is what happens when you pass to a sorry receiver like Crabtree, and he's going up against the best. Don't you forget it. For me, it was like, oh, man, not only was I going to throw up because my team just lost a trip to the Super Bowl. But at that, it was like, I don't like you now. <laughs> just, that, that, was, that was prideful. Or when LeBron James was down in a series when he was for the Cavaliers, that he would eventually lose to the Warriors. They're down three games to one. LeBron, arguably one of the greatest players in history. They ask him, one of the uh, commenters asked him, LeBron, you're down three games to one. Do you feel any pressure? Are you concerned? LeBron replies with a very famous clip on YouTube. He says, now, no. I'm confident because I'm the best basketball player in the world. It's that simple. Wouldn't it seem silly if humility danced around the ring like Muhammad Ali shouting, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, look at me, I'm the best of all time. Of course, all those examples don't scream humility in any way, shape, or form. Not to take away anything from what these athletes are capable of. They are the best. They were phenomenal. But the attitude behind it was so counter culture to what Jesus was telling people to do. Humility is the greatest, but it never says so. Humility is the greatest, but it never boasts about it. It never says it's the best. It just is. All joking aside, humility is a big deal. It's not just kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. We see it in the life of Christ. We see it so many times throughout places in the Bible where it encourages people to be humble, and it gives warning to the destructive nature, the opposite of pride. We don't have time today to go through the exhaustive list in the Bible because there is a lot of them, but I will give you a few. We see that God favors humility. Now, we heard from Paul in his letter to the Philippians, but this is what Peter says about humility in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. 
God opposes the proud. And James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, he quotes the same Old Testament passage, and he says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, both of these New Testament church leaders, they're encouraging humility, and both men quote the same passage, Proverbs 3.34, where it says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. These, man, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Seeing this, it leads me to see that humility, though, because he opposes the proud, humility brings us closer to God. Now, obviously here, no one wants God opposing them. I, would, I don't think anyone would come in and say, I'm going to do this, and God said this wrong, and I'm going to do it anyway because I want the opposition of God in my life. I, don't, I pray no one has that attitude because that, that is so counter to the life that Jesus led. But Psalm 138 says this, 138.6, Through the Lord, Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but, proud he, but the proud he knows them from afar. And the, the New Living Translation kind of make it a little clear. It says, the Lord is great. He cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Man, God's opposition is one thing. And we see in scripture so many things that happen with people directly oppose God. And it's never a good ending. I never want to be on that side of God. I want to be on the, the side of God that says, this is how I love you. This is how I serve you. This is what I want you to do. Not the side where he says, hey, you're, you're walking this way. I'm, God is going this way, but because of your pride, it's opposite to my character, so you're walking this way away from me. I don't want to be on that path. I want to be on the path that says, hey, God, what can I do? How can I make my life line up so I'm walking with you? I'm walking that path that you laid out, that one that we said in Proverbs 3.5 where it says, I know the plans I have for you. I'm sorry, that's Jeremiah. Where uh, Proverbs 3.5 says, um, trust in the Lord God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, where I'm understanding his heart in his way, and I'm walking on his path for me. Pride and arrogance are incompatible with humility, which means these attitudes only make us walk further from Jesus. It's not him moving away from us. He's consistent in his ways. He's consistent in his love. It's us that say, hey, my path is now not lining up with yours. I want to get back on that path. It's a big enough deal to where it's addressed again and again and again in Scripture. Our biggest, greatest example comes from the washing of the feet and ultimately to the cross. See, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and again, coming back to that, it is the most powerful thing I think we see Jesus doing in an act of humility and showing service. John 13, 14 and 17 says this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, got down on his knees, filled up a basin of water, and washed the feet of his disciples. Possibly the lowest thing ever that someone could do, aside from giving up their life for their friends. <clears throat> but why the feet? The washing of feet, like I said, is low. The lowest act of service the dirtiest, most unclean part of the body, and Jesus embraced that with his disciples and said, this is what I will do for you. Go do it for others. I think that this example here is where it gets incredibly poignant. You see, Jesus wanted the disciples to know how much he loved them. So, so much. He took the position of that servant and he said, I'm gonna wash your feet. He showed them that no one is too important. No one is too big to get down and serve one another. He showed this before he died as one final act of love and care for his disciples. It was an incredible act of humility that was ridiculously uncomfortable, but he did it anyways. 
I'd like to invite the, the worship team back up as I have some, some questions for us to ponder today. As, as we go through now, we, we talk about humility and service and, and serving. How, how, do we, how do we apply this in our life? What, what are some ways we can reflect on this? So I would ask you guys, maybe write these down. Pray on these. Dwell on these as, as we think about humility. Who do you need to serve this week? When, when you think of someone in your life, who can you think, this is someone that I could go help this week, especially if you feel like they don't deserve your service? Chances are, if there's someone in your mind that you think that person doesn't deserve it, that's probably the person maybe you can call and say, how can you help them this week? Maybe they're on your mind for a reason. Ephesians 4.2 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Show someone love, some love this week. Show someone that they're worthy of your service because, man, the God who loves us served us first. Where might you need to confess your pride? Where's something in your life where you're saying, this is something that I'm holding on to too tightly for me. This is something I'm very proud of and I don't want to let go because I deserve it. Maybe there's something you've got to let go. Proverbs 29.1 says, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Don't let your desire to hold on to a worldly thing, a worldly feeling, be something that ultimately starts to lead down a path of destruction. Don't let pride destroy your heart. Let humility infuse your life. How will the example of Jesus doing this, how will that affect your daily routine, starting tomorrow even, knowing that Jesus served his disciples? How will that change you tomorrow? And lastly, where in your life do you see more of you and less of him? As you evaluate your life, where do you see more of yourself and that's not really letting room for God in your heart? John 3.30 says this, he must become greater I must become less. I love that. He must become greater. I must become less. Let that be our prayer today. What ways in our life, as we take on humility, let that be your launching point. Just say, God, how can I become less? How can I make you more? In my life, in my family's life, in my workplace, in my environment, what can I do, God, to make sure you are elevated above all else? And when we get that attitude, we get that mentality of knowing God is more than I am, that's a huge step towards living a life of humility and service. Amen? Would you all stand with me? <clears throat> start with those questions. Unpack them. Find some friends to meet with as we start getting ready for small groups. Join a small group that's, that's going to unpack these questions. You can hash it out in life together. But don't let Sunday just be a, a Sunday thing where you heard a message. My prayer for all of us is that we take it out beyond these walls this week. We live it out, and we ultimately turn to God and say, God, what can I do with what I heard? How does that apply to me? And what can I do? What, just what can I do, God? What can I do with this? How can you infuse my life? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. I thank you for Jesus that you sent the humble king, the one who, who could have ridden on massive horses and chariots, God, but, but he came in riding on a donkey, he came in serving. He, he exposed himself in humiliating ways to show how we can serve and love others. I pray that we take that mentality, God. We say, God, what can we do to make less of us and more of you? I pray that it starts right away, God, that you're able to infuse in our hearts the ability and the desire to use you as our example to serve others, to live humbly, God, and to make our lives more like yours. So, God, with that, we thank you. We love you. And everybody said amen. amen.